Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 152 of The Morning After. I'm Jesse Kiefer. I'm Sarah Kamen. On today's show, Flynn McGarry, the hot topic cook who at 16 years old has opened up Eureka, a pop-up chef's counter in New York City. A bit later in the show, we'll send Flynn back to school with The Morning After quiz. Sari, what were you doing when you were 16 years old? <laughs> um, being an idiot? What were you doing? <laughs> I think I was working at the Old Navy. I think I wished I could work at the Old Navy, but my <laughs> was, parents probably wouldn't let me. It was folding performance fleece. It was it was so fulfilling. Yeah, my aspirations were somewhere <laughs> around there. <laughs> well, Flynn, we're really Hello. happy to have you on the show. Sarah, you have some food news for us, and Flynn, I, we'd love for you to kind of weigh in on on the ridiculousness. Yeah, Flynn, that, if you if you know what the the kids are tweeting about these days. Let us know. Because we certainly don't. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, in, in Canada, our friends up north, uh, there's, a new, there's a burger chain that is now selling a Juicy Lucy burger stuffed with Reese's. Which, I don't know. That doesn't sound very good to me. No, that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. Flynn, you know what a Juicy Lucy is, I'm sure. It's like the burger that's it's from Minnesota. Normally, it's stuffed with cheese inside. So when you bite, it's like the cheese oozes out. And that sounds But now it's delicious. chocolate. It's actually a Reese's Pieces, a Reese's peanut butter cup, but it's still a burger, and it has uh, crispy onion strings, two strips of smoked bacon, and there's no way that tastes moderately. I know, good. I know. That's I mean, there's like, no way that's even edible. I'm sure it's edible. I mean, I, I w- think people. It's you know how much co- it costs. It costs fifteen dollars and ninety eight cents. Because because Reese's peanut butter cups are so they're expensive. expensive. They're at least thirteen dollars in are, Canada. They're at least Canada tax. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that takes the like salty, savory, sweet kind of combination to yeah, a but gross peanut level. butter, chocolate, and burger. It, a, yeah, it's just not balanced at all. I mean, subtlety works sometimes with that. Sweet, where in Canada salty. is this? If it's Montreal, then I mean, subtlety is not their food you know it's a chain so i i'm not sure i mean it sounds they like it's it kind of canada it's kind of all over <laughs> i mean they have other juicy lucy's that they're doing as well that sound more reasonable like more just savory ones but this one is just crazy yeah i mean canadians i think are usually pretty rational people but i don't know you guys <laughs> <laughs> says the girl born in canada <laughs> moving on <laughs> um you guys might have known that yesterday was national cat day no. You know, I did. I actually did. And you I have a cat. did not post because it's a fake thing. I mean, did President Obama say that this is National Cat Day? Yesterday? No, he has a dog. Oh, he's a dog guy, so he wouldn't care anyway. I don't think he's that tuned into it. Flynn, did you hear about this on the internets? I did not. I'm a, I'm a dog person. I am too, but it was blowing up my feed. So in honor of National Cat Day, I actually found a cat story this week. And Jesse, you like wine, so this is a good one for you. A cat went missing... <laughs> 
uh, in in Europe. I think it was yeah, it was Germany. He was gone for like a week, and the cat owners were obviously frantic, mm-hmm. understandably so. They found the cat in a wine cellar, and um, he was in pretty bad shape because he had been drinking nothing but Riesling for seven days. <laughs> Sounds German, straight. Yeah, right. Really <laughs> he he allegedly drank forty euro worth, and that's like seventy what? bucks or more um, of Riesling. <laughs> For se- in seven days straight, because apparently how did he open it? <laughs> That's a good question. It was probably like the like the the tank or something. Yeah, I think but he got into the tank. Closed. He had Not his wine. He duh. There could be like um. There could be like open. Maybe he scratched his way. Like yeah, that. probably. Um, <laughs> or something was just dripping. Yeah, but he was very very drunk. There was no water in there. There was just riesling or other wine, and I guess he he preferred the riesling. So he was he was having extreme alcohol poisoning. I mean, Paul, Paul Greco of Summer of Riesling. Mm-hmm. If you're listening. So, yes, uh, a being can survive on Riesling alone for at least a week. Barely. So all your work is is worth it. Yay, Cat Day and Terroir. <laughs> Just after working with Riesling for so long to know that a, like an animal can survive on Riesling alone, it, it's actually pretty fulfilling. It's pretty much warms your heart, yeah, right? Absolutely. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so obviously there's a lot of food trucks in New York. We have pretty much every kind of food imaginable here. But the one food truck we've apparently all been missing is finally coming. It's the Hello Kitty food truck. Oh, my God. Another cat story. <laughs> Something <laughs> they like that. Nothing but Riesling. That's like no, a space kidding. cat. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not a real cat. No, it's, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> just so you guys know. I don't know what kind of food. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of food Hello Kitty serves. Because whatever it is, it just looks like a Hello Kitty. So it's just like a cookie yeah, it's and just like, like everything is like Hello Kitty. Hello Kitty or like a grilled cheese Hello Kitty. Yeah. Animal shape things, Flynn. I think someone asked me to consult on a Hello Kitty shaped thing for a Hello Kitty restaurant. Oh, God. So you're like already oh, no. years ahead of this story. I, I, mean, I didn't know it was happening. It, it happened. I heard about it once and then I just ignored it. Why did you say no? I can't imagine. They're like, you're like a cats. teen, you love Hello like, Kitty. Yeah, exactly. I think you're like, was... I'm not a Japanese girl. No offense, <laughs> Japanese girls. I'm not against Hello Kitty. I'm just not. You're really covering all your bases here. You have yeah. a lot of critics. I got a lot. Hello Kitty. You don't need critics. the Hello Kitty people against you, too. <laughs> they rule the world. Clearly they do. But you had a tip, right? Like, you heard something else going on in the news this week with... With Guy Fieri? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my Google alert was going off for him. Uh, you have them on Google Alert? Of course. It's, it brings me joy. Oh, um, it's just go, the, it was just beeping off the hook. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even so much the story as it was the photo of him. It was just kind of shocking that he's an actual person. <laughs> but there was something like he was drunk in Vegas. Drunk in Vegas and Mexican food. Oh, God. That's Which just a kind bad of, like, combination. Describes him. That sounds like what his cologne would be. Like, drunk Mexican it's like that's like real hell. Like if you are a bad person, drunk you go Mexican to a place food. that's nothing but Guy Fieri Mexican food drunk. I mean, have you ever been drunk and had Mexican food though? It's of course, kind of. I've never been sober and had Mexican food, <laughs> but it's it's Mexican food cooked by Guy Fieri, and that's what makes it. I don't think he cooks it. No, he's opening a Mexican restaurant, but I don't think he's physically cooking it. Oh, I see what you're saying. I think he's like... He hires like Hello Kitty minions on the line. I think he's like, let's put flames on the guac. And then that's that's it. Yeah. And just like shoot things out of it and yeah, call it exactly. crazy name. Make it blue. Make it, it, blue. it blue. There you go. There you go. When in, when in doubt. doubt, make it blue. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll be back with teen cook, superstar, teen dream, Flynn McGarry. 
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. This is Culture City's founder, Julian Maha. Culture City was really born out of uh, necessity. You know, it was born when my, uh, you know, currently six-year-old boy was diagnosed with autism. Uh, his name is Abram and he's non-verbal. And even though my wife and I were both physicians at the time, it was really hard for us to find any resources at that point to help him all the other organizations out there that we know of, um, they do phenomenal work, but their main focus is basically finding a cure for autism. Our main focus is basically trying to prepare the community to accept not only children with autism, but their families as well. You know, in addition to that, we also want to provide help to these families in the here and now. You know, so tangible things like, you know, iPads for nonverbal kids, you know, financial scholarships, uh, therapy scholarships, you know, art camps and also some um, lecture series that can teach parents about, you know, dietary issues, um, you know, how to financially plan and things like that. For more information, visit culturecity.org. And we're back here on the morning after. Flynn McGarry started a supper club at his mother's home in Los Angeles at the age of 12. He has staged in some of the best kitchens around the world. Now at 16, he's brought his supper club, Eureka, to New York City. Flynn McGarry, welcome to the morning after. Thanks for having me. Why? So why did you get started cooking? Because I feel like when I got started doing things at a young age, it was because my parents told me to do it. And then I immediately stopped. <laughs> I immediately hated it. <laughs> Mine, I mean, I as I've said multiple times that my mom hates, uh, <laughs> I started cooking because I really was not a fan of my parents cooking. Uh, they weren't, they're not, it wasn't bad per se. I guess I just got really bored of it very quickly. They had like their list of like five things that they do. And mom food. Oh, mom food. Mom food sounds comforting to me. (laughs) I did not love mom food. So (laughs) I was like, oh, as a very precocious 10 year old, I was like, oh, I could probably do better than this. Yeah. And then uh, she was all for it. She was like, great. I don't have to cook anymore, by all means. Yeah, actually, that's very smart of your mother. She's like, I'm just going to cook terrible. I'm going to make my son just like... I don't know if there, it was premeditated, Starve, and so then he'll cook for us. <laughs> the, the thing that really confuses me, or not confuses me, but like intrigues me about where you were at like 11 or 12 when you started doing this, is most teenagers don't really have... I was a tween. Excuse me. <laughs> a tweenager. Oh, a, a tween, tween, a tweenager. I'm so sorry. I don't think that term existed when I was a tween. <laughs> it had not a been tween invented did not yet. Exist. I was not a tween. Um, but most, you know, young people don't really have exotic. Like they don't have a palate yet for that kind of thing. So even if you didn't like your mom's cooking, you might have instead been like, "Oh, I want, you know, pizza. I want pizza. I want chicken nuggets. Like that's the kind of thing that most kids like. So why were you so different?" Still trying to figure that out. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess I was more into the, like, not so much the, like, flavors of cooking, per se. Like, I I didn't want caviar and truffles and the really extravagant stuff. I was more 
That was when you I, were 13. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was drawn to it for more of the kind of creative aspect of it. Um, and then started to really like the physical cooking of it. So do you ever feel like you're you're kind of missing out on what it's like to be a teenager by kind of jumping into something with, with so much responsibility and so much visibility? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. I think, like, there are things that I would, are, like, technically missing out on, but I don't really feel the need to be doing them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, at this point, I wouldn't really want to be doing anything else. Uh, so I don't really think I'm missing out on things. Uh, but, I mean, then again, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I should probably not be doing this, but <laughs> st- still continue to do it. Yeah. Well, can we just take a step back a little bit? Because yeah. we sort of um, got excited about moving ahead. I would love to hear a little bit more just about like the beginning of your story. Like, okay, you didn't want to eat your mom's pasta or something, so you started cooking. And then can you talk us through kind of like the evolution of how you really started to get serious about cooking? Yeah, I mean, so it kind of all started... Uh, she was like, okay, you want to cook? Let's go buy you a cookbook. And uh, we went to the Barnes & Noble or whatever. And, uh, of course, I wanted the most expensive book that was wrapped in plastic, which was the uh, the French Laundry cookbook. Uh, Did, had you heard of the French Laundry? No, I you just wanted no the expensive clue. book. I was like, it's, it's shiny. Okay. There's like a display. I want that one. And I had no clue what the French Laundry was. I had no clue what Michelin stars were. I had no clue, no clue about any of it. And, like read through the entire book in one night and it just kind of like blew my mind and then kind of from that point on I was like fixated on not even just cooking kind of like the fine dining aspect of it um and that book is very difficult to cook through if you don't know all of the basics so then I started to learn all the basics and then how did you do that the internet mostly like you could google how to cut something like this and then watch a video on YouTube about it and then just try it out. Um, And then started to cook through the cookbook and then other books and then... um, How did your parents react when you started making dishes from the French Laundry cookbook? I don't think they even really knew what it was. As a parent, I would be terrified. My my family's not super foodie Uh at all. I don't even think... They didn't even know what the French Laundry was. So I don't think they quite knew it. I think they were like, knew it a little bit when I would like say, oh, can you buy me this from Whole Foods? And they didn't even carry it. Uh, And the ingredients started to get weirder and weirder. But I mean, they were, they're very overly supportive. So they were just like, whatever you want to do, like if you want to learn how to make Torshan at 12, by all means. I mean, most people don't even know what a Torshan is. It doesn't matter what age they are. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was a strange thing. Like, I, I'm I, not exactly sure what it is, to be honest. It's just foie gras that's formed into a shape that's cured. And that's what I thought, but I didn't know. <laughs> now you know. The more you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, they were just more than supportive with anything I wanted to try out. And we're always like, I mean, granted, I'm sure a lot of it was terrible. But they would always be like, oh, yeah, it's it's good. Like, maybe try it again like this. Yeah, um, I was going to say, were there, were there any, like, disasters? I don't remember disasters per se, but I remember, like, things being not great. Okay. Yeah. I don't think there was anything that was, like... No fires or anything like that. 
<laughs> He's pausing. pausing. No. You never burned the house down. I did not burn the house down. I got probably pretty close. A lot. <laughs> like, a lot. But that's normal for a teenager anyway. Yeah. Or a teenager. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got pretty close. Um, I set my Ouija board on fire. <laughs> when I was 11. My parents still don't know that. Hi, parents. <laughs> similar. Very similar. Uh-huh. Um, I think the only, like, bad... We we did we, when we were doing one of the dinners in the house. I like really badly cut myself, Ooh. and we had to like everyone had to like wait for like an hour until the blood like would clot so I could cook. They didn't take. They were just like, "We're hungry. <laughs> we're just gonna stand here and wait for you to not I mean, die." <laughs> it, it, it was in the much earlier phases where it was just kind of like family friends, so everyone would. Just, I mean. It was a long They were spoiled. Way. They were like, we're not ordering pizza. Nope. We want Flynn's cooking. <laughs> More or less. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, we're going to wait out the bleeding. <laughs> and hopefully wow. he will survive it. So whose idea was it to do the, start doing the supper clubs in, in It was house? mine. It was yeah. your idea. I mean, it was my idea as far as like, it started as a way to kind of have other people try the food that weren't as biased as my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Yeah, I mean, it just kind of was always a way where I could just cook for people and have other people try the food, and, uh, and then it kind of started to have a tumbleweed effect and then became bigger and bigger and more courses and a staff and all that kind of stuff. Is it true that you turned your bedroom into, like, a test kitchen or something I did. Like that? I did. Did you sleep? Do you sleep in the oven? I had a Murphy bed. Oh. Okay. All right. So you're going to be fine in New York City. Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, I'm used to it. So is that still your bedroom? Like, when you go home, you sleep on the no, 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 no. We, oh. got, we got rid of all... I mean, also, like, we got rid of that a decent time ago. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a terrible But idea. that didn't occur to you in the beginning to think that way? In the beginning, there was a use for it because we were doing dinners in the house and all that. And then... Once we started to move them into restaurants, I didn't really have a need for a giant kitchen in my room. <laughs> um, and I think I got to a point where I was like, this is, kind of, this is pretty weird. This is pretty weird. It's definitely different. When it's, I was 16, I was like, please, can I get my own phone? And you were like, please, can I get a sous vide machine? Yeah, yeah, more or less. Uh, and then, yeah, right, when, right before I uh, left to New York, we just kind of got rid of all of it. Wow. Yeah, because my, my parents were like, we, we, you, we do not need this. Yeah. No one needs this. Yeah. So, and, and then I read that you have worked all over the world in some of the best restaurants. Uh, what are some of the places that you've staged at? Uh, 11 Madison Park in New York, uh, Alinea, Chicago. I was at Modernist Cuisine for a little bit in Seattle. Um, where else? Uh, Mimo, which is in Oslo. Geranium, which is in Copenhagen. And then, uh, I mean, I worked at a bunch of places in L.A. too. So of all the, the places that you've, you've staged, what do you feel is the most kind of influ- influential to what you're, what you're doing now? I don't think any specific place has been more influential than another for the food, exactly. But, I mean, w- when I go and work at these places, I'm, I'm mostly looking for, like, how do they run their kitchen? How do they do this? How do they do this? How do they do this? And, uh, I mean, for a while it was 11 Madison Park because they, like, 
are like the perfect version of a restaurant. Nothing goes wrong. Um, and I learned a ton about how to like organize and how to do all that there. And then, uh, but I really, Maimo, which is a restaurant in Oslo, uh, I really liked how they ran everything. It's much, much, much smaller. I think 11 Madison Park's like 80 cooks and mine was like five. So you get to do a lot. I got to do a lot more on my stage. And, um, I mean, all of the restaurants are very similar once you get to that certain level, uh, how they run the kitchen, how the people who work there have all worked in the other restaurants. So like, even when I was in Europe working in these places, I was working with a bunch of people that I'd already worked with at other restaurants. So, like, two of the cooks at Maimo, one of them I worked at 11 Madison Park with, the other one I worked at Alinea with, because everyone just kind of circulates these kitchens. So they all become very similar, but it's all of the little, like, tiny, tiny details, how they organize and how they kind of execute what they do on a daily basis. So how involved do you get when you're staging? Because, you know, a lot of people start very, very kind of, like, low chopping vegetables. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the place. Um... I mean... Let's talk about EMP. EMP, they... The cool thing that they would do there is every time I... I I was there for, like... I staged there, like, six times or something. And every time I would go, they'd kind of split it up. So I would spend, like, a week or a few days on every single station in the kitchen. So I got to see how every single thing works. So, like... I'd spend two days on fish. I'd spend two days on meat. I'd spend two days on garmage. I'd spend two days on pastry. They'd put me on expo and show me how to do that. They were kind of... The chef de cuisine when I was there was very like, I want you to learn how we do everything here, which was awesome. Why do you think that they let you come? I mean, it's, you know, one of the best restaurants in the world. Why do they take a chance on someone so young and, you know, inexperienced compared to other cooks? I mean, I don't think that they... One, free labor. Okay. Two, I think that a lot of chefs kind of would see themselves in me at that age because most chefs started cooking around that age. So, I mean, it's like you have this kid who really wants to learn and he wants to work hard and he wants to work for free. There's really no reason why you wouldn't take it. Except it it just seems like a liability. I mean, yes, if you don't, if you didn't know me and know that I'm not going to like cut myself and I mean he has to sign paperwork to uh-huh to agree to be there so. yeah I mean but there's obviously something that you showed them I mean I don't know if they tasted your cooking or like like what was it about you that you got them to kind of just trust the fact that like you could handle yourself in the kitchen I mean I think 11 Madison Park in particular I met Daniel on when they were doing the book tour for the original thing and I'd cooked some dishes out of the out of the cookbook and like it was LA, so no one was there. Like, not a single person was at their book <laughs> signing. So we were just kind of talking, and and I like showed him some of the things I cooked from the book, and he was like, "Whoa, those look really similar." And then invited me to come stage. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like a lot of them have been. Uh, I don't think I ever ever really had a problem getting in somewhere, especially once you kind of go one place, and like if Daniel Holmes, like, yeah, he knows what he's doing. It opens doors. It opens a lot of doors. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, kind of from once I started working these places, and also, like, when I first worked at Lemmas Park, I'd already been working in a restaurant for a year. 
And, and that was Alma? No, Alma was after that. I worked at this place, Breeze, in Stark Bar in L.A. Um, and I was, which was very illegal. Uh, I started there when I was 12, and I worked there for a year. And I was the, like, lead meat cook. By Whoa! The it was, I, I don't know why the hell they were like, yeah, you can do this. <laughs> but Did the diners know? Her? No. Like, was, there's a, a, there's a, a kid in the kitchen. It was a separate kitchen. <laughs> Granted, once press started to happen, that was like, oh, he's working there. Then some people were like, can I see the, like, which was kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> Stupid laws. <laughs> but, I mean, Alma, like, people, it's an open kitchen, so they could see. Granted, I started there when I was four, five, 14, I think. I don't really remember. But... So long ago. Uh, so long ago. <laughs> I mean, almost three years. It's a long time. Long Don't e- the, the last three years have just been a blur. I'm sure. So let's talk about Eureka, um, the pop-up in, in New York City. How did you get the space, and, and what are you doing there? Um, so we, we've done a couple pop-ups in this space before. It's weirdly enough, my mom's friend from college owns this catering company called Creative Edge. Uh, they do, like... They're like big, giant 2,000 people parties and kind of... So it's crazy to kind of work around their schedule as well. Sure. And they have a, uh, they have a tasting room uh, that they use to do tastings with potential clients. And they use their room Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. And Saturday, Sunday, no one's there. And I just kind of... I reached out to her and asked, like, you guys have this great room and we've the two things we've done there before were great and we work really well together and they're more than supportive with all of it um and so we started to talk about possibly doing something every week there and then it just kind of happened naturally so it's a chef's counter so yeah it's a 12 seat counter i cook everything um i have zero cooks and then my business partner, who's the general manager, he does all the service and wine. And then we have two dishwashers. And that's it. So are you hoping that you can hire some staff soon? No, I don't think for this, for this concept, we don't really need staff. And we also can't. I mean, we're only open like two days a week. So can't really hire staff for those two days. Um, I mean... It would be nice, but... So who actually... Does, is your partner serves the dishes? Like, puts them on the table? The two of us serve it. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I cook everything, serve, sauce, help clear. Like, it's a very interactive experience. It just sounds really labor-intensive. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, so on Sundays, we recently started doing lunch. So you have a double service on Sunday. No, we, well, so we do two turns for dinner, 6 and 9.30. Mm-hmm. So on Sunday, we also have lunch now. So I get there at like 5.30, 6 in the morning, start prepping for lunch, do lunch, kind of reset for dinner, and then do dinner service. And then every Sunday we have to take apart the entire room. Cause, so they, on the week, have a completely different setup in this space and we have to take all of their stuff out and bring all of our stuff in and set everything up um so on sunday nights after we've after i've been there since six 
we have to take apart the entire dining room and move it around the corner to storage unit. So it's a good 22-hour day. Wow. Flynn, when you started this whole process, did you think about what it might be like to become famous? No, I still don't know what it's like. I mean, obviously, like, we were sitting here before the radio show started and you got a tweet or something that you were just listed as, like, one of the most influential tweens (laughs) ever. Still a tweet. Always a tweet. (laughs) But, I mean, things like this are happening every day and there's, you know, people talking about you and there's, there's good reviews and there's bad reviews and there's haters and there's fans. I mean, does it feel surreal and is it something that you want? Because it's only going to probably get more. You're only going to experience this on a, on a more extreme level the older you get. Sorry, I'm really focusing on the Instagram and going outside. Um, Fair enough. It's pretty great. Uh, it's not... I never intended... Like, this was not the reason that I started cooking. I just like to cook. This Do you tr- like this part of it? Eh, I mean... It's it's necessary. It's something that comes with the job. I mean, does it feel overwhelming? I mean, I can't think. I can't picture how it would feel to me now, and I certainly can't picture how it would have felt to me fifteen years ago. It's a lot sometimes. I mean, when you, I I know most chefs are like this. Like you get into cooking to like just put your head down and work, and then you have to do this other side where you kind of have to go around do interviews, do all this stuff. But that's a very necessary part of having the business um, is like we need to fill seats every night. So we need to do press and we need to do all this stuff. I mean, I don't really reflect on it too much um, because then I feel like I'd start freaking out a little bit. But I just kind of, I mean, I do it. I I don't not enjoy it. I think it's, I mean, every once in a while it becomes a little much, but most of the time I'm fine with it uh what do you do about the haters i mean at first obviously you're gonna be a little mad about it but which which is kind of sad i've just become used to it Mm -hmm. like people yell fuck you at the farmer's market i'm used to it really yeah it's happened twice now you say anything back no that's probably smart probably yeah no, I mean, you're not supposed to be like raging at the farmer's market. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's too early to rage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I uh, I just have become kind of used to it and know it's a thing that's going to happen. I mean, I'm doing something that's so strange and unfamiliar that I think people are just kind of like they don't know what it is. So a lot of people's first reaction to it is anger. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, do you think it's a lifestyle you can sustain for a long time? <laughs> no. No, no. Uh, I mean, for a while. I, I mean, I, you see in everyone's career there's a certain point. I, I, I mean, yeah, it, especially not this kind of Right, I mean, intensity. you start so early, like, the concern is that you'd burn out early, too. I think the, the, the great thing about cooking is I may burn out from, like, working a 22-hour day every day, but there's so many aspects to it that if I burn out from that, I'll still like creating the, I mean, it's so every aspect of it is so different that you can kind of segment it into a very long career. Mm-hmm. Well, where can we buy tickets for, um, for Eureka? Uh, you can go on Eureka NYC.com and buy tickets to come eat. And can people follow you on Instagram and Twitter? Yes. I'm at dining with Flynn. All right. Flynn McGarry. Thank you so much for being on the morning after we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back with the morning after quiz.
still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything. A dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. Anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org. Click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back here on the morning after we've been speaking with Flynn McGarry of Eureka Pop-Up here in New York City. So Flynn... I know you're you're not in school right now, but we're going to take you back. I'm ready. So, Flynn McGarry, you know all about Eureka, your pop-up chef's counter, but what do you know about Eureka's Castle, the children's show about a sorceress in training and her friends that ran from 1989 to 2002? Have you heard of it? I've never heard of it. You weren't born. I was born. <laughs> I was born. He was born. I think he was like two when the reruns ended, right? What, 99? 98. 98. Okay. All right. You had, you know, till you were three. So I, sure I had a good four tons. years of it. <laughs> Maybe if you watched it, he wouldn't be such a successful <laughs> teen cook. Maybe I watched it a little too yeah, much. Probably. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So multiple choice. Okay. Uh, first question. What famous children's author co-created Eureka's Castle? Is it A, R.L. Stein? Is it B, Judy Bloom, Or is it C, J.K. Rowling? Judy Bloom. Nope. <laughs> Did you ever read R.L. Stein books? Yeah. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. His name was actually Bob Stein, and he co-created Eureka's Castle. Oh, my God. Yeah. I did not See, it know it didn't that. sound spooky enough for yeah. him. I agree. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you guys haven't seen it. I haven't seen Eureka? I mean, you haven't seen it, Flynn. It's a little creepy, Sarah. I guess I'd have to go back and revisit it. It's a little creepy. I was watching the intro. It was huh. Flynn, should, what are you, you should... doing later? <laughs> Watching Eureka's Castle. On Hell YouTube. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, so question two. What is Eureka's Castle? Is it A, a gingerbread house made by two German siblings? Is it B, a wind-up music box owned by a giant? Or is it C, a spaceship in the shape of a castle that helps the planet Earth change its seasons? <laughs> B? B, yeah, it is a wind-up music box owned by a giant. So this is what I mean when it's creepy. It's like this giant's like, oh, I'm going to see what my friends are doing today in my music box. And then he like looks down at this you know, thing and he winds up. I would have guessed D, all of the above. <laughs> exactly. It should be all of the above. That would be a great television <laughs> Get on it, guys. Get okay. on it. You can add this to your schedule. <laughs> That's <one>. the sequel. <laughs> exactly. And final question. Which of these is not a character from Eureka's Castle? Is it A, Slurms, a clay animated slug slash worm hybrid? Is it Cooey, something that looks like a wild, undomesticated Furby? Or is it C, Pepe the Latin Lothario King Prawn? I I don't want it to be C, but I think it's C. <laughs> no, it's oh actually not C. It's Thank not C. God. Oh, wait, oh, wait, yes, no, you're right. Oh, <laughs> you're such a tease, Jesse Keeper. <laughs> Sorry. I was thinking that he was, but he's not. He's absolutely not. He's a Muppet. He is. Pepe. He's the he one who is. goes, okay. And he's got like wild hair and, you know. Can, can you just do all those impressions all day? All day long. The next show. 
that's yeah. the next show. Um, well, you got two right, which is which is better than really a good. lot of better people. than I did in school. It's probably than seventy <laughs> better than so like seventy percent of people. Well, if it's better than you did in school, don't quit your day job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you still in school? No, I graduated. Oh, of course you did. You did that when you were like nine. Yeah. <laughs> now he's just in kitchen school. Right. All right. <laughs> Slash well. running a restaurant. Thank you so much for being on the morning after, and I wish you all the luck in the world. And uh, the haters gonna hate, you know, but uh, don't let them get to you. Don't let them get you down. This is the morning after on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.